I don't want to know how many of you think that sign should have been on your wedding chapel. God can make miracles out of mistakes. Today, actually, we're going to talk about miracles. We're going to talk about miracles. And we're going to take a deep dive today into what the Bible says about divorce. And we're going to see that God does indeed make miracles out of mistakes. And so if you have been living with the pain of rejection from a divorce, today God is going to begin a miracle of healing in you. Or if you have been living with the pain of regret and you feel like you were responsible for a a divorce, then listen, today is your day because God is going to begin a miracle in you too. Today is your day. And I just feel like today we should just start this study with a word of prayer. So would you just join me in inviting our generous Heavenly Father to come and and teach us and touch us. God, you are a good, good Father. And today we want to invite you to come and do miracles in us today. Lord, some of us need healing. Some of us need a new start. Every one of us need the affirmation that you are here and that you are touching us and you're moving among us. So open our ears, Lord. Help us to see and hear you clearly. And and Lord, help us to sense your presence in this room, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Talking about divorce, let let me tell you, talking about divorce is tough. Because there's so much shame connected to divorce. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And, and in my family, it goes back generations. My grandparents on my mother's side were divorced. And when my mom was a little girl, I think she was about nine or 10 years old, she contracted a disease called rheumatic fever. And in, 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 in those days, rheumatic fever could advance and become polio. And so it was a very frightening disease. So my grandmother did what any good mom would do, and she called her pastor, and she said, Pastor, would you come and pray for my daughter who has rheumatic fever? And the pastor's quick response was, I'm sorry, Mrs. Blumstrom. I can't come to your house and pray for your daughter because you are divorced. Shame. It's shame that went deep in my grandmother. It's shame that went deep in my mom. It's, it's shame that has even affected me as a third generation person. And that shame for divorced people comes from a sense of failure. It comes from a sense of rejection. It comes from what we've been told by our religious leaders. Shame comes from so many sources. And it might surprise you today to know this. If you are divorced, God understands your pain. The Bible says that God hates divorce, but I shared with you last week that that doesn't mean that he hates divorced people. He absolutely doesn't. In the Old Testament, God uses a metaphor 
To describe his relationship with his chosen people, Israel, he uses the metaphor of marriage quite often to talk about how he loves Israel, how his commitment to Israel is like a marriage. But there's this startling verse in the book of Jeremiah that I want to start with today. It says this, I divorced faithless Israel because of her adultery. Mind-boggling, isn't it? This is God speaking in the first person. Can I just read it again? I divorced faithless Israel because of her adultery. Here's why God hates divorce. He hates it because he's been through it. He knows the humiliation of rejection and betrayal from hard-hearted people like me. And like you, God hates divorce because God is a divorcee. So today, as we unfold the the Bible stories together, you're going to discover something revolutionary. You're going to discover today that God, in fact, does not hate you if you are divorced. Instead, we're going to see something completely different. And here it is. This is our big idea for today. God cares for divorced people. God cares for divorced people. I I tried to find a better word than cares because we use that word so flippantly. And, And I couldn't find a better word. But what I want you to understand from this is that God feels your pain and he takes care of you and he is interested in your best interests. He cares for you. In the deepest way that I can communicate, I want you to know today that God cares for you. So today we're going we're gonna to see his care for divorced people in three passages from the Bible. We're going to start in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to end up in 1 Corinthians because that's what we're studying in in this series. But we're going to start in Deuteronomy at the very beginning of, of the discussion in the Bible about divorce. And then we're going to move to see what Jesus has to say about divorce. And he actually references the Deuteronomy passage. And then finally, we're going to end up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and we're going to see that Paul references Jesus. So all of these verses are linked, okay? So that gives you a little bit of a roadmap for where we're going today, but we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 24. All the verses will be up on the screen today, but if you want to open your Bibles up and follow along, I I love it when you do. Deuteronomy 24, the first place that instructions are given to God's people regarding divorce, and here's what we read. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, and I I want you to just hang on to that phrase. He's discovered something wrong with her. He writes a document of divorce and hands it to her and sends her away from his house. This is the first place that divorce is mentioned in the Old Testament law. And I want to give you a little bit of a context because this verse actually sounds a little bit harsh, doesn't it? 
Here's what was happening. In ancient times, wives didn't have a lot of value to society. Wives were considered a little bit better than property, a little bit better than animals. And in those ancient cultures, men would marry a woman, and then when he was done with her, he would just abandon her. And quite often, if the woman didn't have family, or if she didn't have friends that would take her in, if she didn't have any value to society, she would either starve to death, or she would be forced into prostitution to survive. It was dire for women in ancient days. There was no divorce, there was no option to remarry, and there were no laws to protect women. And so the reason that God directed Moses to make this law about divorce was that once a woman had this certificate of divorce or a document of divorce that this verse talks about, this woman would be free to remarry. And what it did is it protected her in a society that did not protect women in any way, shape, or form. And so what we see at the very earliest place in Scripture is this. It's number one on your notes. God cares for women. God cares deeply for women. God is interested in protecting women. Women who are often the victims of divorce. And that's, that was true in ancient times, but in my experience, I have seen many, many women, I've worked with many, many women who have been the victims of divorce, men who were cruel, men who were abusive, men who cheated. They, they, they had no value of their wives. And listen, if that's you and you're sitting in one of these chairs today, listen, God cares about you. God cares deeply for women. Now let's fast forward to Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the Jewish rabbis had been debating the law of Moses for centuries. Anywhere there was room for debate, the rabbis would weigh in and give their opinion. They would try to clarify the law. And then the Pharisees, they liked to enforce the law. So there was all kinds of legalism taking place. And in terms of that verse that we just read from Deuteronomy, there there was a little bit of nuance. And so the rabbis seized on this verse and they wanted to weigh in on their opinion. And there were two schools of thought in Jesus' day. The conservative school of thought, the conservative rabbis, believed that that phrase, if he found something wrong with her, referred only to adultery. And that word wrong, those conservative rabbis meant that she had cheated on her husband. And so if a man discovered that his wife had cheated on him, he found something wrong with her, he could divorce her. That was the conservative school of thought. But then there were liberal rabbis that believed that the phrase discovering something wrong could mean anything. Could mean that she wasn't pretty enough or that she burnt his dinner, or that she brought home too many chick flicks from Redbox. Whatever it was, whatever it was, these liberal rabbis wanted the freedom to just discard their wives. We're just going to get rid of her. In other words, those liberal rabbis wanted to backtrack to the years when women had no value and had no protection. 
And so the Pharisees who were arguing about this stuff brought the question to Jesus. And we, we find this passage in Matthew chapter 19. Here's what we read. Some Pharisees came to Jesus and they tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now I want you to notice, they're trying to trap him. They're bringing a question to Jesus that they know is going to make somebody mad. There's liberals and there's conservatives, and whatever Jesus answers is going to make somebody mad. It's just like politics in America today. And so Jesus, Jesus is brilliant. I love Jesus. He's so careful. And instead of going to Deuteronomy and giving his opinion, he takes his listeners all the way back to the book of Genesis. Here's what Jesus says. Haven't you read the scriptures? He's a little sarcastic. I like that about Jesus too. (laughs) Haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. What's Jesus doing? He's quoting the very words that God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden when they, were, when they became the first husband and wife. And then Jesus goes on to say this, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is affirming God's original design for marriage. Jesus is affirming that God's idea, God's plan for marriage is that it be permanent. And Jesus is sidestepping this conservative or liberal debate and he's just taking them back and he's saying, listen, God designed marriage to be forever. But the Pharisees, remember they're trying to trap Jesus, right? So they decide to play a little Bible ping pong. So they lobbed the ball back, took Jesus to Deuteronomy where we just read. And they said, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? And listen carefully to Jesus' response. He said, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it wasn't what God originally intended. In other words, God knew there were going to be people that had no intention of staying in a marriage. And so God made a provision to protect people that find themselves in those situations. And Jesus goes on, he says, I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless the wife has been unfaithful. So Jesus is being so careful here But in the end, he came down on the side of the conservative rabbis and said, a valid reason for divorce is when there's been marital unfaithfulness. But more importantly, he's getting to God's heart on the issue. And he's saying, listen, Pharisees, we're not going to backtrack to before there was a law. We're not going back to when you could just capriciously discard another human being and get rid of them because you don't like them. 
So Jesus affirmed that God cares for women, absolutely, but he also taught us this. Number two, God cares for the betrayed. God cares for spouses who have been cheated on. And listen, if you're sitting in a chair today and you've experienced that betrayal, your spouse has cheated on you, God knows. God understands your pain. God feels your heart and he cares for you. He really does. So now let's go to 1 Corinthians. We started with this last week. I I, I gave you kind of the big idea of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but now I want us to take a little more of a deep dive into what he talks about in terms of divorce. We're going to start at verse 10 in 1 Corinthians 7. And here's what Paul says. He says, For those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. And when he says the Lord, he's talking about Jesus specifically. So he's echoing the words of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospels. He says, A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, Let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. I want you to look at these verses carefully. This is important for us to fully comprehend. Paul, in in echoing Jesus, is again affirming the, the permanence of marriage. But he's also acknowledging something important for us. He is acknowledging that sometimes divorce is inevitable. This is something that sometimes Christian people and church leaders have been slow to acknowledge. Sometimes divorce is inevitable. Sometimes a marriage is so broken that it's impossible to stay in that relationship. So I want you to see something very important. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 doesn't forbid divorce, but he gives us really important guidance on what to do after divorce. He says this, work as hard as you can to reconcile your marriage. Work as hard as you can to reconcile your marriage. We have a couple of connectors Uh, I think they usually come to second service. Claudia and Gary Gettle. I don't know how many of you know them. Claudia usually sits over here. She's kind of the crazy cat lady that when I'm talking about dogs, she she calls me out because she's she's a crazy cat lady. And and Claudia and her, uh, and she would not be offended that I said that about her. Claudia and her husband Gary met in the early 1970s and I asked them this week how they met and they told me they they met through a dating service. It was before Match and eHarmony and Tinder. I I don't know what the old school dating services worked, how they worked, but that's how they met. And they quickly fell in love after they met. And they got married and they had two daughters And they were devoted parents and they were hardworking entrepreneurs. They eventually, they met in California, but they found their their way to Montana. But after their girls were grown, so they had been married a couple of decades or maybe three decades, Gary's job became incredibly stressful. And Gary told me this week that he wasn't even aware of it, but the stress of his day-to-day job led him to be harsh 
and unkind to the people around him. He just became, well, Claudia told me he was just flat mean. Claudia began to really struggle with the marriage relationship. And when Gary was unkind to her, it it hurt her on a really deep level. But when he was disrespectful to strangers like waitresses or they had a big blow up with a tax preparer, Claudia says it just became unbearable because he was so unkind. So Claudia began to pray. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and Gary was not changing. And one day she felt like God spoke to her. And some of you might have a little hard time with this, but this is, this is Claudia's experience. But Claudia tells me that God spoke to her and God said, do you want to live like this for the rest of your life? And she said, no, I don't. But she had a conflict because as a Christian woman, she, she didn't believe in divorce. She believed in the permanence of marriage. But it got worse and worse and worse and finally one day she got to her breaking point and Claudia decided to divorce her husband, Gary. And it blindsided him. He didn't know it was coming. They never talked about it. He had no idea that Claudia was fed up to here. She just had him served by somebody else with papers. And he was devastated. Claudia was gone. The family was ripped apart. The marriage was over. But Claudia, she's a funny lady. And whenever we talk about this, she she always assured me, and, and years ago she would assure me of this, she wasn't out looking for another man. That wasn't the point. She said she only loved Gary. She only had eyes for Gary. She said even when they were divorced, as angry and hurt as she was, Gary was the man she loved. So her brothers tried to set her up with, with some of their friends, and she said, what, are you crazy? I mean, she, she just wasn't having it. But she also knew that she couldn't stay married. Meanwhile, Gary was feeling hopeless and desperate. He hired an attorney because he felt like he needed to protect his assets, and Gary in particular had no idea what God was going to do. God was going to do a miracle. And the miracle started at family gatherings. They would meet together for birthdays and for Christmas and, and, and different occasions. And at those, at those family meetings, Gary and Claudia would sit down and they would chat and they would kind of catch up on what was going on in on each other's lives. And, and it just became friendly enough that Gary thought he would step out of the limb and he thought, I'm going to ask Claudia out for coffee. And she said, Yes. So they went out for coffee, and then a coffee date led to a dinner date. And before long, Claudia and Gary found themselves falling in love again as though they were teenagers. Gary began to change his behavior. He was kind, he was considerate, he opened the door for her, he pulled out her chair. He showered her with gifts. In fact, Claudia told me that she stopped telling him she liked different things in the store windows because she was afraid he was going to go broke buying her things. 
He was kind and generous and thoughtful. Claudia couldn't believe the transformation in Gary. And none of us can remember the date, oddly enough. But I think it was about four years ago, Chris and I traveled over to Butte in the dead of winter to Claudia and Gary's daughter's home. And we had a small private ceremony where they got remarried. And today, these two silly senior citizens are giddy like newlyweds. You should see them. Those of you that know them, you know that it's true. They still struggle. There's still hard times. But God did a miracle. And I don't think either one of them could have ever seen what God would do. God does miracles. Now, let's get back to 1 Corinthians. We're still in chapter 7. I'm going to pick up at verse 12. Here's what Paul says. Now, I will speak to the rest of you. Remember, he's just talked to people who have suffered uh, from, from adultery in a marriage. Now I'll speak to the rest of you, though I don't have a direct command from the Lord. What he means by this is that Jesus didn't address this topic that he's going to address. But I want to remind you, this isn't just Paul's opinion because we believe that Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Paul isn't just a smart guy giving an opinion. This is Holy Spirit speaking to us. He says, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue to live with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other for God has called you to live in peace. So this is another scenario now that Paul is talking about And here's the third way that we see God caring for divorced people, and it's this. Number three, God cares for the forsaken. God cares for spouses who have been abandoned. Do you see how God cares? And if you've ever been abandoned... If your husband or your wife has just walked away, God understands. God sees you and he cares for you. Now last week we talked about distractions. If you were with us, you'll remember. And one of the distractions we talked about is this press to change our marital status, go from married to divorced or from divorced to remarried or whatever. That can be a distraction from our mission in life, which is to serve the Lord. And so Paul in in 1 Corinthians 7, I hope you've taken some time to read it. He gives us some excellent guidance about what to do if you find yourself in a divorce situation. And there's three things that I want us to make note of today. If you're divorced, here's some excellent advice from Paul. And I would say from the Holy Spirit, really. Number one, consider staying unmarried and just serving the Lord. 
According to Paul, in, in chapter 7, if you've read this carefully, Paul would say, this is your best strategy. But he also knows that that's probably not realistic for every person. So there's two other really great pieces of advice that we find in chapter 7. Number two is this. Consider pursuing reconciliation. Consider pursuing reconciliation. Gary and Claudia give us a great example of both of these things. Boy, Claudia was not going to get, she wasn't looking for anybody and even her family members trying to pressure her, she was having none of it. She was just going to serve the Lord. Gary, he was going to reconcile. But there's a third bit of advice from Paul and it's this. Remarriage is an option But Paul is pretty clear in this chapter, really clear in this chapter, to say, proceed with caution. Proceed with caution. Why? Because Paul knows, just like most of us in this room know, that remarriage comes with its own dangers. Remarriage comes with its own dangers. I want you to see some statistics These are the the best new statistics we can find on the divorce rates in America. And of of first marriages, about 41% of them these days are ending in divorce. That's actually a really encouraging number because we used to to think that about 50% of marriages would fail. The best data we have now is about 41%, which is really pretty cool. But look at second marriages. The statistics go up to 60%. And for third marriages, 73%. Now, Paul doesn't forbid remarriage. But he does make it pretty clear, it's probably not your best option. Proceed with caution. But the bottom line that I, I want everyone in the room to hear today is this. If you're divorced, God cares deeply for you. Let me go back to the very beginning. I, this, when I stumbled onto this verse from Jeremiah this week, it just rocked me. I divorced faithless Israel because of her adultery. Listen, if you've ever been divorced, God gets you. God isn't shaming you. God isn't reprimanding you. But listen, God is calling your name with the deepest care and the deepest compassion for you. And you know what else? Pastor John Ortberg wrote this. God came up with the first divorce recovery program. And it started at a place called Calvary. The price was a cross. And that divorce recovery program is still underway. Because of Jesus, friends, God does miracles. And if you're living with the pain of rejection, or the pain of regret. 
Today is your day for a miracle. Would you put your things aside? And would you stand to your feet? We're going to pray. Father God, the God who loved Israel, the God who married Israel only to be left with rejection and the pain of divorce. Father God, thank you today for loving us so deep. Thank you, Father, that there is no person who is outside of your compassion and your care. Thank you, Father God, that you feel our hurt so deeply. And thank you, Lord, for loving Israel so completely and actually loving all people on the earth so completely that you gave your son so that we could be reconciled back to you. Man, you're the, you're the most beautiful model of what a divorced person looks like. And you are our good, good father. Today, Father God, will you come and will you begin to heal us? Many of us in this room are hurting deeply. And we just invite you to heal us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.